Hello, and welcome to episode six of Speaking Up. This is a podcast about people standing up for the truth, stepping up on the issues of the day, and speaking up when it matters most. I'm your host, Miles Taylor. Very excited to be hosting this on Call-In, a social podcasting app that allows us to take questions from listeners. And today, I am welcoming a guest who is on the front lines of the political fight that, frankly, is dominating the conversation here in our country. That's the fight between what I would call the rationals and the radicals. These are the candidates that have decided to go stand up and run against those people who support the big lie that the election was stolen or are promoting conspiracy theories or candidates for office or politicians who are condoning political violence. And the good news is there are folks like that out there that are willing to stand up and challenge those people for public office. And one of them is here with me today. That is Clint Smith. He is a lawyer from Arizona. Clint has got a storied career, not just in law, uh, but also in general and standing up for what is right. And that's why we've got him here on the Speaking Up podcast. For your edification, listeners, Clint is running as an independent candidate from Arizona for the United States Congress and running against one of those radical candidates, a divider named Andy Biggs. Clint, welcome to the show. Thanks, Miles. Great to be with you. Great to have you here. Uh, let me kick off and just ask you, uh, why the hell would you run for public office? <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell us, in, in this environment, what motivates someone like you to get into the fray when it seems like a really difficult time to be Miles, running for public office? It is a difficult time. If I don't do it, who will? Somebody needs to step up. And so it literally came down to that. If not me, who, if not now, when? that kind of an analysis. I had some friends that recruited me actually for this. And uh, at first I kind of balked at it, but the more I thought about it, I realized I'm at a point in my life where um, I'm ready to take the next step and head into the next adventure. So yeah, probably naive a bit, but uh, ready to enter the fray. Well, well tell us this, uh, you know, it's uh, before we get into what I think is a really interesting story here, which is, is that you're not running against, you know, you're a lifelong conservative, but you're not running against Andy Biggs as a Republican and you're not running in the Democratic Party. You think you've got the best opportunity to win this as an independent. And I want to drill into that. But before we do, um, tell us a little bit about you. I mean, what was the trigger for you to decide to jump into the political fray this cycle? Well, the the last straw was the January 6th and the aftermath that our uh, incumbent congressman seems to not have a problem with, and I do. Um, so that's, that's the ultimate trigger. There's a lot of other things along the way as I've studied what's gone on there, but um, I want to bring, like you said, rationality back to the whole political scene. Are there going to be key policy issues or messages you think in your campaign that will resonate beyond January 6th? I mean, of course, the pro-democracy message is, is crucial. But when you're talking about peeling away someone from peeling away voters from some of these more radical candidates, what have you found is most resonant? You know, what do people on the ground care about in Arizona that can get them away from one of these pro-Trump anti-democracy 
candidates? Well, besides the whole idea of not uh, vilifying opposition, uh, which is a big deal to me, uh, mm -hmm. there are three main things that, that I feel like, uh, you know, make me different than other uh, candidates, other uh, uh, politicians. First of all, we have immigration is a huge issue here in Arizona, and it's not just the border, which is what a lot of people focus on. And, and I do think there ought to be a secure border, but I think it needs to be functional. The policy needs to be uh, rational. It's not. It's a mess. And also, I don't think we can, uh, you know, realistically think we're going to evict 11 million plus people out of our country, and many of whom are here in Arizona and help our economy hum. So, so that's, that's one main issue, uh, immigration that uh, kind of gets me, gets me motivated. And I've been involved in that for a very long time. Second thing is water. Uh, and basically related to that is climate change that we have. We've got to stop denying there's climate change. We've got historic lows in water resources. Uh, the large lakes uh, that we uh, receive our water from here in Arizona, plus the Colorado River, are at historic lows. And there doesn't seem to be many people in positions to do anything about it that are actually doing something about it. So I want to pay attention to that and take some steps. Um, and then I just feel like, uh, you know, there are so many other issues I, I, we, we could talk about, but let's just talk about business and economy and and uh, how we're going to fight inflation and those kinds of things. There's so much vitriol going on that nobody's really talking about the actual solutions. So that's the other thing that people are worried about here. You know, of course, gas prices are up. We're worried about what our foreign policy is. Our particular congressman recently was in a very small minority in a vote to support Putin against democracy in Ukraine, which blows, blows my mind. And that kind of... Uh, uh, policy doesn't doesn't jibe with me or with the rational people here in Arizona. Well, let's talk about the rational people of Arizona. I, I recently described what we are seeing in the state as sort of uh, the the cauldron of crazy, if you will. Uh, and I don't mean that's all Arizonans. I mean that's uh, you know, there, it's it's <laughs> yeah exactly it's. It's ground zero for some of these extremist political movements that are really trying to exploit concern in the state about the economy and the direction of the country, uh, and and frankly, in some cases, radicalize people. I mean, one of these candidates in the state is Carrie Lake. Uh, she's running for governor. She is about the Trumpiest Trump person in the country, very vitriolic in her rhetoric highly divisive, constantly spreading misinformation and conspiracy theories. How do you navigate a political climate where it's so contentious and where people are so used to personal attacks? How do you, how do you bring them back towards cool, calm, and collective? You, you try to talk about the actual underlying issues instead of arguing with hosts and uh, taking aim at you know, the, the media or whatever it is, let's talk about what actually the issues are. And that's what I try to do. Keep it on that higher plane. That's the yeah. short answer. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I will see how that plays out in my particular race. But yeah, you're right. There's a lot of name calling and just vitriol and crazy stuff going on here. Well, so, so tell us about your approach to this, Clint. I mean, you are in one of the most 
novel races in the country right now. And, you know, you're not a household name across America. Folks don't know this yet, but hopefully they will. You've, you're taking a very unique approach to this race. Again, as someone who's spent their life as a conservative, uh, you're running as a political independent. Talk to us about that and your thought process leading up to declaring your candidacy as uh, an independent candidate for Congress. Yeah, good question. Uh, a lot of people are saying, well, geez, why would you do that? Uh, independents don't win races. And I understand that thought process because historically it's uh, an anomaly. But here's the deal. We are in unusual circumstances. The Both parties have swung to extremes that now control the narrative on each side. And the problem is on, on the Republican or conservative side, uh, whoever is the farthest out there gets to win the nomination and therefore, you know, in our district wins the general election because it's a 17, 18 point swing, you know, uh, advantage in favor of Republicans in our particular red district. So if you're the Republican candidate, and especially if you're a, um, an incumbent who has the endorsement of a former president, you're going to win that primary. And there's no getting around that. So my strategy is there are a lot of people out here who are still Republicans. By the way, there are a lot also leaving the party, um, becoming independents. We now outnumber Republicans uh, here in Arizona. But the, the idea here is we, we get a fair number of Republicans uh, who are what I consider to be rational. Um, and we get a whole lot of independents. And then we also uh, work to get a fair amount of Democrats to vote for, for us as the only real option or alternative to another round of um, far-right leadership by uh, Andy Biggs. So uh, I had a conversation on this podcast a few days ago with Andrew Yang, who, of course, is someone who's spent most of his life on the left, unlike you on the right. But he shares this notion of coalition campaigning and that right now there's a really unique moment in American politics to bring folks together across the spectrum to, to take out entrenched extremists in some of these races. And, and part of that is what we're seeing in the numbers. You know, we, I've talked about it before that, you know, roughly half the country now says they are political independents and they're not Democrats or Republicans. And, and that's the highest number that's ever been uh, recorded in modern history. So experiments in coalition campaigning like yours are uh, really happening at just the right time. Are you seeing um, excitement from Democrats in this race? What's the response been from Democrats about standing behind a candidate like you who kind of comes from the center right and not from their orbit? Are they open to it? They are. That's been very encouraging. They basically, some of them at least, uh, the hardcore uh, Democrats are going to say, well, you know, how, is it, how are you any different or better than what we've already got? And it doesn't take long for me to talk about things like immigration and policy, water policy. And, uh, you know, there's there's a few other uh, issues out there, education that they're interested in, that um, if you have an independent who's going to listen to them, that's the first thing. They haven't had that in this district, maybe ever, um, because the Republicans always win in double digits in our heavily Republican district. So they're interested in the idea of somebody who's going to, you know, try to straddle uh, in the middle and try to figure out solutions to problems. 
instead of name calling and also is on board with the same uh, or at least similar approach on certain issues that are important to them. So yeah, that we're finding a lot of enthusiasm on the, on the Democrat side. That, that's really great to hear. I mean, when you look at the numbers in your race, give listeners a sense of what it, what it would take to, you know, bring down a divider like an Andy Biggs. What is a candidate like him who supported the big lie? Uh, you know, what kind of margins did he win by? And what sort of coalition does someone like you need to put together to counteract that? Yeah, so the and still does, by the way, support the big lie as recently as several weeks ago, still talking about the 2020 election that was stolen. Um, but here's the thing. The, the numbers that we have done in our polling tell us that if you had a traditional race here where it was Democrat against uh, Republican, the Republican wins by 17 plus points. If you have an unnamed, 17 plus points. So for yeah. listeners that aren't in the political sphere, that's 17 percent above the other side. Right. So that would be, uh, you know, a really resounding victory. It would just be a, happens, a, a landslide. Yeah, it's it's 59 to 41 or 58 to 42, whatever it is. It's yeah. A, it's Dems a have no hope in that scenario. Exactly. That's that's the issue. And all the Democrats who are educated on this understand that. And so they're working to say, well, I want to have an option, an alternative here. So that's where we get a lot of our uh, Democrat support. And so that coalition and those guys are some of our most um, helpful and enthusiastic volunteers who go out and collect signatures and talk to their friends and help us, you know, uh, raise some money and all kinds of things that they're doing. And then there's uh, so so the idea here is if we can receive somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 40 percent of Republicans, 60 plus percent of them of uh, of the independents. And hopefully 50-ish percent of the Democrats, uh, that's our coalition, and that, that wins. And the polling shows that. And it would, it would send a shockwave through the system if that worked. I think, you know, Clint, if, if you were successful in that, we would probably see a dozen or more candidates in the next cycle, in the 2024 cycle, try something similar because it's a, it's a very bold play. I want to ask you when you're talking to voters about what they can expect if an independent like you wins, what kind of leaders that are out there do you say it'll be a model of? Because, you know, they have a a long history of Republicans. They kind of know what to expect now, especially after Trump. They know what it means to elect a Republican. Uh, You know, they, they know what an Arizona Democrat looks like. And uh, some of that has been influenced by Kirsten Cinema and, and what her yeah. positions have been. What kind of leader are you in the mold of? Well, if I can go back <clears throat> historically, um, I did an internship for John J. Rhodes, who was a, I don't know, 17 term congressman, I think, here from Arizona. And I did an internship in his office in D.C. back in 1981. He had a stellar career that involved um, working with across party lines to uh, get approval for the Central Arizona Project, which is the water that feeds the whole Phoenix Valley and most of the state. Uh, there's a, that was a lot of work to fight against, you know, big 
party, lots of parties and interest there with California and Colorado and Utah and all kinds of parties. Interest. And he worked across party lines to get that done. And in doing so, he, uh, you know, maintained his status here as a well-known and well-respected statesman. He was able to have friendships with people like Tip O'Neill, who was a very liberal, as you may know, uh, Speaker of the House from Massachusetts. They were good friends. Uh, and he was also, this is the other thing about him that really stands out to me. Uh, he was the minority leader, the House minority leader in 1974 when uh, Richard Nixon was impeached, who was also a Republican. So he's of the same party, his presence facing impeachment charges, and he has the courage to say, enough, I, I can't uh, support you anymore. I'm going to vote for impeachment. And that was one of the last straws uh, that led to that. So so I think they're looking at somebody like that who can say, I can talk to people across the aisle. We are going to work for solutions and we're going to do the right thing. Um, and that appeals to people. Like you were saying earlier, 50% are registered independents now, and that's great. But I want to say 70%-ish of people are done with the fringes. They don't, they're not happy with the fringe on either side. And so there's a lot of us here in the middle looking for a political home. Oh, and, and as you're looking for that political political home, I mean, you're doing more than just look, Clint. I mean, you're trying to you're trying to build a new We're building a home, home yeah. For, so, yeah, for some of these people. And, you know, we may have other listeners out there who are thinking about making the leap as well and not just going to the voting booth, but being a name on a ballot challenging an extremist. Maybe it's this cycle. Maybe it's the next cycle. What does that look like? How high of a hill is this to climb right now, especially when it comes to money and politics? What does it what does it take to enter? And what do you guys think it takes to go win one of these races? Well, it's a mountain yet to be determined. It's up there in the clouds somewhere. We know it's an uphill battle, but uh, we're talking about, you know, having to raise a fair amount of money on our own. There are a lot of uh, parties that are standing on the sidelines waiting to see if we get enough signatures to get on the ballot. That's a big deal here in Arizona. I have to get three times as many signatures to get on the ballot as a Republican or a Democrat. And that's difficult, but we're on track to get to have that done. That's due in a couple of weeks. Once that happens and we're, we know that we're going to be on the ballot, then we hope that the floodgates open up, as we say, and, and that uh, there will be a lot more uh, people that will come out and say, okay, well, now I'm ready to help this guy because he's real. So what it looks like exactly, Miles, I can't tell you. It's uncharted waters, but we're going for it. Well, and, and, and tell me about, uh, I want to ask you about your opponent here. And, and I talked a little bit already about uh, Andy Biggs, but, um, you know, in just the past few weeks, there have been headlines about your opponent being part of the pro-Trump, pro-Putin wing of the GOP because of his support for, uh, you know, frankly, uh, the autocratic leader of the Russian federal government. How is that landing with Arizonans? People are just horrified. People here are wearing the, the yellow and blue. They're in support of Ukraine, of democracy, and they just, many of them, the ones we see, shake their heads when they see another vote that is against, you know, a democracy, honestly, uh, those those principles that we hold dear. So that's not resonating well, as far as I can tell. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, it, exactly. And and I think that it's one of those things that some of these candidates are going to find uh, 
really puts them in a difficult place this cycle is Trump is completely on the wrong side of mainstream public opinion when it comes to the conflict. The vast majority of Americans stand with Ukrainians and, and of course, Arizona is no different. So, you know, hopefully that's that's seen as a vulnerability from some of these folks. But incredibly, uh, and I think this is the case with Andy Biggs, a number of these members of Congress voted against uh, some of the sanctions bills. Um, and, and I'm pretty sure Biggs was one of them, voted against yep. the, the bills to punish the Russian government. How is he even rationalizing that right now? I mean, is there even a, a cogent argument that's coming out of your opponent's campaign about why he would uh, stand with Moscow? I'm not sure on all, all that. I, I hate to speculate, but but one thing that I knew, do know happens occasionally is a lot of times um, my opponent's office at least will say, well, let's pay attention to our own border. Why are we worried about a Ukrainian border that's thousands of miles away? And that, in my mind, is just crazy. Nobody says you have to ignore what's happening here. We want to pay attention to go, what goes on there. So that's the only reason I've ever heard for opposing some of those things. And it doesn't resonate with me or lots of people. Uh, on border security, let, let's talk about that. Arizona is such a critical state. You're a border state. Um, those issues are going to always be at the forefront. Right now, we're seeing a huge surge in migrants at the southern border. It's been something, a, a crisis that the Biden administration has struggled with. Um, how will you differentiate yourself from not just the Biden administration, but also the Republicans on this question? What niche does a an independent candidate carve out on, on a, a contentious issue like immigration? So, first of all, I do agree that we need to secure the border. We can't just have open borders. And that's, that's a non-starter to say, open up the borders, let everybody in. Nobody is advocating that that I'm aware of. The question is how to do it. And I think there's good ways and there's not so great ways to accomplish that. And that has yet to be determined. You know, a lot of the border land doesn't, isn't uh, amenable to uh, a high wall that uh, would protect, you know, people from coming across on a, on a canyon wall up above a river, for instance. So there's, there's different technologies, there's personnel issues, but there is focus on how, uh, how best to achieve our goal of keeping our border secure. That's one thing, and I don't think it's just a big, beautiful wall, as has been said. Uh, there's a, a number of things that need to be done there. But the other part is, it is not just about um, the immigration as such, as far as moving into our country, but also to pay attention to the immigrants who are already here. That needs to, we need to pay attention to that too. And there are, there are things that uh, I think we should consider with dreamers, for instance, and those kinds of people who have been here for basically their whole life and uh, still don't have citizenship because there is no path to residency, let alone citizenship. And, they, and there's lots of changes that need to be had there without being labeled, you know, an amnesty guy, because I'm not, that's not what we're talking about. If you won, uh, who would you caucus with? Would you caucus with the Democrats? Would you caucus with the Republicans? Or would you go into the House of Representatives and say, I'm standing in no man's land and I'm going to stay there? At this point, it depends on the leadership, I got to say. 
uh, I, I may end up being in the aisle, literally in the aisle <laughs> that, I, that I want to straddle. I don't know, honestly, Miles, where that's going to play out, but not real happy with either side of the leadership at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm eager to know when you are starting to go door to door in Arizona and talking to people, uh, are you sensing a, a sense of resignation about the political process at the moment or are folks staying engaged? I mean, is there is there any optimism about turning the tide of extremism that you're encountering out there on the road? Yeah, there's a lot of optimism. We have a lot of people that really perk up and they say, really, an independent? Where do I sign up? You know, that's a big deal to them. People want to have options. There are some, of course, that say, eh, you know, one guy can't do anything, so uh, why are you even bothering kind of a thing? If I have a moment with them, I'm able to, generally speaking, to, you know, turn them around and say, well, here's the option, and this is, it's worth a try. Wouldn't you rather try than just, you know, curl up and give up, you know? And, but my, my sense is there's a lot more people who are willing to um, jump on board when they see that there is an option here. So, yeah, it's very encouraging. Uh, Clint, uh, I think we all have the experience of uh, politicians seeming like avatars at a distance. And this is something, again, when I talked to Andrew Yang, you know, he used that term is, you know, they just like they think of celebrities as not real human beings. They think of politicians as robots and, of course, attack them and criticize them and attack their families. And politics gets very vitriolic and very personal. But at the same time, that's also what can help ameliorate the discord is by seeming like a real human being to the people, by being personal, vulnerable, bringing them into your life and your experiences tends to soften the rough edges of those conversations. And yep. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm curious, you know, when you have those conversations with voters, the real, real talk about who you are, where you come from. Um, where do you feel like that normally connects? What's that switch flip moment when people realize, oh, Clint Smith's a, a human being who wants to go do good, not just a political avatar? What, what do those conversations look like? When, when they become convinced after I talk to them for a while that this is not a career move, this is not a career path, I don't think politics should be a career path, honestly. And I just say, look, I don't, I don't need this in my life. I got a really good, happy life. I got a successful law practice. You know, I've got family that loves me and I'd love to spend more time with them. I'm doing this because I feel like it needs to be done. And when I show people what, who we are and why we're doing it, they, they, they become engaged and they basically say, okay, well, I can, I can live with that. And, and on the note of being an avatar, I don't, uh, I don't know if I could do that. I, <laughs> I am who I am. And, and, uh, of course, you know, the political world will change people, and that's another reason we don't want to stay in office too long. But I don't think that's going to be an issue as far as uh, reachability or identifying with. Uh, that's something I've always been able to do to connect with people, so I'm hoping to retain that as part of my identity. Well, well that's good, and I can't footstomp that enough. It's fascinating in this environment, some of the uh, reactionary folks in politics will accuse reformers like you of jumping in uh, as grifters, which I always find hilarious because there's pretty much <laughs> no worse path you could take to make money 
than politics, especially running for office. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're not allowed. You don't get to keep any money that you raise. It's not like you can pay yourself a salary out of your no. campaign funds. And I think folks don't realize that this, this is the opposite of grift. Uh, folks like you who enter these races are pretty much giving up everything uh, yeah. to go get in the fight. Pretty major cut in pay. If you know, if we win, you know that's a that's a given. And I'm not here for, for that. I'm not here for the uh, you know whatever the recognition might be or the power play or whatever. That's that's not it. It's just about trying to push back against the extremism. And 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 if your motivation, Clint, if we're to believe you that this is not about becoming famous, which I think we do based on the conversation so far, uh, you know. If you got elected and you took that seat in Congress, are there key committees, key congressional committees that you think it's important for you to be on in terms of what Arizona needs, but also what you think you can contribute in Washington? So, right, this is, you know, if you have your Mr. Smith goes to Washington moment, where would you want to <laughs> go make a stand and uh, in, in, in what committees? Well, without naming specific committees, my interests are... Uh, as I as I mentioned, you know, I do think there needs to be uh, work done on our whole immigration system. It needs to be transformed, reformed, whatever you want to call it. I want to be part of that. That's a big deal. And there are several committees that actually work on immigration issues. Water is another thing. Natural resources. There are lots of committees that deal with that. Uh, I would love to be involved in that. And then as far as expertise goes, my law practice, I dealt for many years with financial, what I call financial train wrecks, you know, bankruptcies, collections, foreclosures, all that kind of stuff. And there's lots of bills that come and go about that. And there needs to be a rational voice who's been in the trenches with that. And so I, I could contribute there. As a, an expert in financial train wrecks, is America a financial train wreck at the moment? Oh, ouch. Well, it's in bad shape. I don't know if it's a train wreck yet, but we're on the wrong track. Let's just say that because yeah. the trillion, the multi, multi-trillion dollar debt is killing us. The social security system is in jeopardy. I mean, where do you, where do you, and not to mention inflation and the high uh, number of people who are not even looking for jobs because they're getting free money and just different things that are going on. There's, there's all kinds of things to be concerned about there. I want to ask you uh, one final question before a fun one, Clint, and, and that is the whole exercise of what you're doing right now is an exercise in, in speaking up. You're sticking your neck out there. When you had those private conversations with family and friends, uh, especially in this environment, what were their biggest concerns about speaking up in this moment? And what was your response? Well, their biggest concerns are the opposition, whatever may come to us, uh, you know, in terms of what impacts our family, what people say about me or about them. Uh, lots of my family are concerned about that. And my answer is turn off social media <laughs> for now. I don't have another answer because I don't know what, what, what's going to you know, come to pass there. I am very concerned about the whole idea of how dialogue is not happening and there's shouting and there's violence and all that stuff. I'm hoping to avoid that much, but at least there will be, I'm sure, other things will address, you know, like some name calling and labeling and maybe false representation of who I am and what I represent. 
and I just say, well, we know who we are, or we're just going to stay the course. Well, uh, I, I think it's a great exhortation. Stay off of social media, with one exception, podcasts. Like speaking of, <laughs> you, you can keep you can keep listening to the podcasts. Yeah, choose your podcast wisely, right? Yeah, yeah, choose your podcast wisely. Um, <laughs> uh, my final question I want to ask you, Clint, is actually one that I always ask candidates uh, for jobs that I'm interviewing. And it sounds like I give them an option to answer one of these two questions. And they sound like very negative, dark questions, but they lead to very interesting and sometimes inspiring answers. And so because you're a candidate for public office, I want to put you on the spot with these. The first question that I ask interviewees or first option I give them is who are your enemies? Now I make clear to them that I don't need to know who their middle school bully was or folks like that. They can take the question however they want to, but that's not necessarily how it's intended. So who are your enemies? And then the second option I give them is to answer the question, what is your biggest fear? And hopefully the answer is not something so banal like spiders and is maybe more insightful. So would love to give you that option to pick which question you want to answer and, and tell us what that would be. So I don't have to answer both questions? No, no, just one, <laughs> unless you want to do a twofer. Um, well, I'm not, I don't know that I could really identify fears, but as far as enemies go, I don't have, I don't feel like I would consider anybody enemies. But I knew that I know that there are already and there will be more that consider me an enemy just because I don't agree with some of the things like the big Y and some of the other things that that uh, people in my church and in my party and in my neighborhood uh, have, have, you know, wholeheartedly believe and they're they're sincere about it. And I I respect that. I would hope that they could be as civil about that disagreement as I'm going to try to be, but, and I've even had my moments where I kind of dipped into the, <laughs> into the lower levels of com communication, but I don't consider those people my enemies. I just want to try to, you know, make a distinction based on facts and policy that uh, we don't have to label each other enemies. That's probably not what you well, wanted to hear, but no, I, I actually was going to say, Clint, that's one of the better answers I've ever gotten. And in my estimation, you answered the question, they're not my enemies, but I might be their worst enemy <laughs> yeah. because you stand up for uh, a truth and pushing back against some of the craziness. Clint Smith, we are uh, very interested to follow what happens with your independent candidacy and uh, very excited to stay engaged and hopefully see you. Uh, in person again sometime here soon in Arizona. So thank you for joining us today. Wonderful. Thank you. Have a good one, Miles. All right. And thanks, everyone, for joining Speaking Up. We look forward to a conversation later this week with Inez Cantor Freedom. You may know him as an NBA basketball player for the Boston Celtics, but he has become a vocal advocate for the cause of freedom, especially pushing back against the Chinese government's repression. So join us for that conversation on Friday. Thank you again. We'll talk soon.